We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call 1-877-CARS-WITH-A-K, the numeral 4, KIDS. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Station. Hey guys, Station. great interview with Deal, and I definitely miss him. First off, the pitch clock. Who's watching the pitch clock? Is it like a buzzer that goes off after 15 seconds? I tell you, I wasn't making it up. Every next one was like that. Yeah, I'm with that other guy. Is there a buzzer? Look, man, the morning show, one of the, the functions <laughs> of the morning show. Is that because you have it up. you have two genuinely nice people that host that show? I listen to it every day, and they they like to serve the public. Yes, so I I, I do think that they did them a service this morning because oh. there were people who have a lot of questions about things. But yes, it can be very entertaining radio as soon as Mully starts punching up those calls. Hey guys, long time. Uh, so. Can can you still move a guy? Over? Oh my god! Listen to Theo, and you can hear Theo Epstein, the former <laughs> president of baseball operations for the Cubs, and now who is a a consultant to Major League Baseball to try to improve the aesthetics of the game. And he joined Mully and Haw to talk about how things will look a little different. The standard can't be to make everybody happy because that's, that's never, as a famous American once said, you, know, you can't please all the people all the time. So that's not going to happen. But these rules are, rule changes are designed for the fans. And so I think it will, in the long run, go really well and make for a better version of baseball, a more entertaining product for the fans, and therefore, you know, greater interest uh, in, in the game and a better industry overall for everybody that, that lifts, lifts everyone, including the players. And I think it'd be better for the players too. You know, we did an extensive amount of fan outreach through um, surveys, through focus groups to get, to get the fans input on what they, what they liked about baseball and what they didn't like about baseball. And, and while everyone has a different version of what, you know, the best version of baseball might be, that there was a lot of consensus around likes and dislikes. And the, the likes were stolen bases, doubles, triples, great defensive plays, anything that involves action, athleticism, multiple players in motion, you know, drama, suspense. And as I said earlier, the, the, a lot of those things are at generational lows with the way the game has evolved to the three true outcomes. And then dislikes were, you know, inaction, dead time uh, between pitches, between at-bats, uh, pitching changes, mound visits, things like that, where there's nothing going on. So, you know, we sat down to test a bunch of rules in the minor leagues, checked in with fans along the way to make sure that the, 
you know, the, the impact of the rules resulted in a game that was more enjoyable for fans. So I'd say, you know, when you ask how is this going to go, I think there is going to be an adjustment period. You know, we saw that in the minor leagues. It was about a three- to four-week adjustment period. Um, and, and, we, and we actually polled minor league players, too. It was 8,000 minor league games that, that we wow. experimented with for these rules. And we polled the players as well as the fans. Hey, how long did it take to get used to this? What did you like? What didn't you like? And, you know, the pitch timer is a good example where there were, you know, multiple violations per game, which, you know, results in an automatic ball or an automatic strike, depending on whether it's the pitcher or the hitter uh, who's the guilty party for the first few weeks and started to slowly go down. And after three, four weeks, there was between both teams combined less than half a violation per game on average which means, you know, if you're following your favorite team, there's an automatic ball or automatic strike levied against your team on average just once, after, once every four games um, after the adjustment period. So it's, it's not, you know, once the adjustment period passes, it's not something that should interrupt the flow of the game. In fact, you know, another way to judge the success of these rules is if they're even noticed at all. And my hope is that after the adjustment period, which is spring training and then probably into April, you don't the same way when when you're watching you know an NBA game you don't notice the shot clock all the time all you notice is a great rhythm and flow to each possession and the ball going up and down the court hopefully you won't notice the pitch timer all all you'll notice is hey this is a really well paced game it's like Mark Burley's pitching for both teams that 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 would be just a success I love it uh, what is your fa- is that it is that your favorite new rule then the pitch clock or do you have one that you just like the look of it? Is there any one that really appeals to you as you were putting this all together or part of I like, it? Yeah, I like the pitch timer because I think it's going to have the greatest impact. And, you know, it, the, the, the pace of play has slowed um, a little bit each year for the last 20-plus years to the point where, you know, you never even notice it changing so much. But, that, but then if you, you know, you tune in to – a game from the seventies or eighties, you know, late at night on the MLB network or ESPN classic or something, which I don't even think exists anymore, but um, (laughs) you tune into a game, you look up and you see, I remember a few years ago, one of the games in the 1975 world series was on. You notice it right away. It's like, wow, this is such a better version of baseball. Louis Tiantz is getting the ball, gets his sign and fires like a pitch every 10 seconds. And you can't take your eyes off it. And then you sit there and you realize, wow, the game, not only does the game last, 30, 40 minutes shorter without all the dead time, but it just, the action just jumps out at you and sort of the organic flow of the game. Every time you take a breath, there's a pitch delivery, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be. It keeps you locked in and creates a better version of baseball. So we're so used to now, you know, the pitcher taking a stroll around the mound, the hitter stepping out, adjusting his batting gloves and everything else (laughs) between pitches. That, I think it's just going to be a breath of fresh air um, resulting in, you know, better pace of play, get everyone home 20, 30 minutes earlier. And then importantly, also a, a, a better version of baseball. And we saw in our, in our experiments in the minor leagues that with the pitch timer, once players adjusted to it again, after those three, four week adjustment period, pitchers actually threw more strikes with the pitch timer because there's locked in more and, and, and more efficient hitters, swung the bat a little bit more often. Uh, fielders uh, were locked in and, and in, in the game and therefore made, made better defensive plays. So just, just overall a crisper, better version of baseball. So, yeah, that's probably the one I'm most excited about. Okay, so amplify this because I saw the data, and I'm not quite sure 
8,000 games and you claim that the the pitch clock, there were fewer injuries than more. Because I think there's a concern, Theo, as you know, when you when you condense everything, there's less recovery time between pitches, between innings. And you wonder, with all these arms conditioned to take those 30-second breaks and to, to have that kind of recovery time, how will it affect injuries? Is that the biggest concern that you've heard? Yeah, so the, the data basically showed that it was, you know, infinitesimally fewer injuries, so about about the same. I think the biggest takeaway was, you know, it didn't spike injuries, which is obviously a concern. That's why we tested these rules as, as, as much as we did in the minor leagues, was to make sure um, we avoided any unintended consequences and we would never do anything that, that increases injury risk. In fact, a lot of these rules, especially the bigger bases, are, are designed to try to enhance player safety. But yeah, you're right. So there is data out there that um, increased time between pitches enhances pitcher recovery. And, and, and what, what, what that leads to, though, is more pitches thrown at max effort. And there are studies out there that demonstrate that the, the, the single most dangerous thing you can do as a pitcher is throw really hard with max effort often. And, and, and so, uh, you know, what happens naturally and, and what we used to see in the game back when pitching was more of an art and less of a display of pure power, which is what you see now, is pitch, pitchers would modulate their effort. You know, that back then it, it was a goal of a starting pitcher, not just to miss as many bats as you could for five innings and get out of there, but to, to get really deep in the game. So you'd see pitchers coming out throwing, you know, 89 in the first inning, and then in the big spot they'd ramp up to 93, 94 and, and, and modulate their effort. You would, you'd see an occasional, you know, first pitch sinker down the middle to try to get a ground ball and be efficient or a one, one sinker down the middle, just get pitch to contact a little bit, which you don't see anymore. Pitching has evolved for a lot of different reasons um, into more of a pure power display where, where just about every organization and every pitcher is trying to go out there and, and miss, miss a lot of bats. So with, with the, with the, uh, slightly decreased recovery time between pitches, what we expect to happen will be that, you know, pitchers will modulate their effort a little bit more. If you don't have 30 seconds between pitches to make every pitch a Broadway production and, 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 and throw as hard as you can every single pitch, the art of pitching will come back a little bit more and, and you'll see um, a little bit, a little bit more finesse and a little bit more modulated effort into the game rather than, pitchers redlining it all the time and, and pushing themselves to the, to the brink of injury. It is extraordinary to me that there is so much sudden change, right? Like it's not just one rule. There's four major rules at one time. Did you contemplate spreading it out more and, or is it better to just, uh, here we go with this, this is the new game. I think baseball as an industry can be slow to change, you know, to, to slow to change with intention and that the, the game has been changing a lot. On, on its own over over the last several years, just through these optimizations and through the way organizations are, you know, positioning players, training players, you know, the the, the, the way players are going about playing the game. So I, I think we felt it was overdue. Um, and and you know, testing these rules in the minor leagues, I don't think we're um, asking anything of players or umpires um, that that they can't handle these are the best athletes in the world you know the players have had input into these rules as well 
that they can't handle with an, an adjustment period. I mean, the, the pitch timer really does become second nature after the three to four week adjustment period. The bigger bases, we found that there's essentially you know no adjustment period or, or just a matter of a couple of weeks that that should be adjusted to by the end of spring training. And then, you know, the playing without extreme defensive shifts is simply, you know, a return to how the game was played for its first century and and how, you know, the game is still played the majority of the time. You're just you're just eliminating, you know, the extreme the extreme shifts. So that shouldn't be that much of an adjustment period. I think limiting the amount of pickoff throws, which isn't a necessary element of the pitch timer rule because right. it closes closes a loophole. That will take some adjusting to, um, and, and we think over spring training in the first few weeks of the season that should be accomplished. So, yeah, we there were some you know some other things contemplated and some things down down the road that, depending on the results of of um, you know these rule changes, are contemplated that that we felt this would be too much. This would be asking too much of the players. This would be asking too much of the umpire. So I feel like these ru- rules were streamlined and simplified enough where. Uh, it's realistic that we can go out and have uh, a really good season altogether. Dean, we know you know something about roster construction, so I'm curious when you talk about banning the shift, you how will that affect p- perhaps how you put together an infield? We see here with the Cubs in Chicago, with it, we're very familiar with Nico Horner moving to second base, Danzy Swanson signed to play shortstop. Basically, you have two shortstops up the middle because now maybe athleticism is – a higher priority, or is it? I wonder, will that be a byproduct of these rules changes because of the way you want to structure your infield with guys who can get have mobility? Yeah, I think you're right. I think every organization will look at it a little differently, and that's that's the beauty of baseball, right? I think we want diversity in approach with what teams are trying to do to win, how teams interpret you know different different rule changes, where you know teams should anticipate. Um, what style of play will help them win differently. And that's, that's good for baseball. It's something we've gotten away from. The game has been homogenized somewhat with everyone sort of trying to rely on power and patience. And you don't see teams like the 85 Cardinals anymore with you know, seven guys who can fly and Jack Clark sitting in the middle. But you know, maybe you will now. Maybe teams will take a different approach. But I think that the big obvious headlines, you, know, you, you nailed it. Um, there's going to be a premium on – middle infield defense, especially the second baseman. I think that's the the position that um, the profile changes the most um, because the, you know, the most, the most effective shifts were in the past were against left-handed hitters and you could really hide, you know, uh, a third baseman playing, you know, a, a third base profile um, at second base, knowing that when, when a lefty was up, you could put him in a position where he didn't have to range that much and give the shortstop the, the majority of the hard work. Well, now that second baseman's going to be naked. He's got to cover, you know, along with the first baseman, cover the whole right side of the infield. You can't stick him deep, deep into shallow right field. So uh, range, athleticism, ability to make plays at the extremity of your range. So in other words, diving plays where you, where you leave your feet, uh, glove the ball, and, and pop up quickly and throw, throw the, the, base, the batter runner out that's going to be extremely important. So I don't think teams are going to try to get away with a bat first, um, you know, sort of corner profile at second base anymore. I think you're going to need more athletic second baseman. That's, I think that's good for, good for the game. You know, the, the rule changes like the bigger bases and the pickoff limitations that, that also uh, encourage more stolen base attempts and encourage the running game might impact roster construction. 
as well, where, you know, just generally now, you know, players who can run, players with good base stealing instincts are, are, are going to be able to run more often and more successfully. You know, the last few years we've seen the league leader in stolen bases last year had 41 right. stolen bases the year before that was 39. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if as a result of these changes, teams, you know, skew a little bit more athletic with a little bit more team speed and there's a return to, you know, the Jose Reyes and Jacoby Ellsbury stealing 70 plus bags that we saw a decade ago, or, or heaven forbid, you know, Vince Coleman, Ricky Henderson guys stealing hundred plus bags. Like I, that wouldn't really be bad for baseball based on, based on what fans are telling us They they really do like the running game. So, and then the last roster construction piece, just with the, with the shift again, is that it, it, it should restore a better in-play environment for left-handed hitters. You know, with, with, with the extreme shifting left-handed hitters have had a much more difficult in-play environment um, recently than they had previously. And this should open up, you know, some more hits for those left-handed hitters. Hey guys, great interview with Theo. That was Theo Epstein on earlier with Mully and Haw here on the score. This it was morning. a great interview. It really with was. And he's so passionate about it. He, and he, and he knows that he's atoning for, for his own sins of making baseball boring and, and clunky and, and prizing efficiency and on base percentage and everything. Well, it's all still going to matter. But the, the, the more I think about it, imagine what it means to be a catcher in a new environment. Mm-hmm. We're not just throwing guys out who are going to be on the move, but being it working with your pitcher, getting that pitch calm, making sure you've got it, and understanding the rhythm of your pitcher, the receiving aspect and the timing aspect of what it's going to take to 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 get somebody settled in, to know that the to be able to work at that pace. I do worry that the oh my god, my pitch calm doesn't work might be an excuse for some guys like it might be their way to go back to the powering up their power bar guys oh my god oh, i'm tapping my my, my pitch comp does not work i don't know did you come in check this i mean there'll be guys gaming it there's no question but i i think there will be maybe that in itself would be a distraction and an interruption to the pitcher at that point but when he talks about the athleticism of the second baseman mm-hmm. how many times how far back do you have to go in your visual memory as a fan? Okay. Watching on television, I, I can remember as a kid, and I, I don't think I'm. this is a, a selective bias, but the number of times it was either the, the overhead shot or the center field camera of a hot shot past the mound, the pitcher turns, can't get it, and out of nowhere, there's a guy standing there, out of nowhere, the second baseman to his right either slides in or dives in to make a play, and you get that sense in the shot of, oh, where did he come from? Like that would, I can't tell you how far back I have to go. Probably to like Alomar? Yeah, that was the name that I was thinking of that it would be Roberto Alomar when Darwin you start Barney. thinking it. Darwin Barney. Hey, Gold Glover, right? Did he, didn't did Darwin Barney win a gold he glove? He broke the record for arrowless streaks. And then he made a play on the game that would have broken the record, but he made an error. Because Rizzo, Rizzo didn't pick it, by the way. Yeah. Bad teammate. Um, Nick Madrigal, I remember that, where he would go into the hole and, you know, you see him make a play. And you go, man, look at all those tools. <laughs> Stop it. Well, into the hole is different. 
Ranging to his left is different and doing that little reverse pivot. He was bad at that, too. Yeah, I know. He's not good. I love what Theo had to say about Max Hoffer pitching. Like each yeah, pitch. like pitchers aren't supposed to operate that way. He's right. Like it, it's one of the most interesting parts of of him discussing this is the type of damage that it can do to a pitcher if you if you're building up and and you know we Dan you see it up close at the high school level like that that's what they're they're building velocity monsters they're not really building pitchers so it's it's kind of good if you have a a kid that isn't a velocity monster because they have to learn how to pitch. Instead of learning how to throw. And timing is a huge weapon. Pitching is all about upsetting timing. And you mm-hmm. can, sure, you can upset timing at 100. You can upset timing with a, a, a that 90. upsets my timing quite a bit. A, a 97 mile an hour slider and, and tunneling and all that. But that time in between pitches of here it is, hit it, and I'm not ready. Oh, wait, what was that? I'm not. That is absolutely a weapon for a next level pitcher to use. Ab- above and beyond the ability to throw the ball as hard as possible, is the ability to have it on that hitter before he's expecting it or before he's ready for whatever you're going to throw. When I look at this from the perspective of the team that I cheer for, I am most concerned that Michael Kopech is going to be affected by this because he's a max if he's ready. Man. If he's ready to start the season. Right. Again. Already. His 10th year in baseball. Yeah. But I think that he's he's got the chance to be the most affected by this because he does so much to to try and generate max velocity and and you know you see him grousing around and stomping around the mound getting that power bar built back up. I wonder how this is going to affect him and and if it'll make him more or less effective. I, I feel like he's one of those guys that's got to not completely learn how to pitch because you know he's got some stuff, but. He's going to have to do a better job of handling that than just overpowering people like high in the strike zone. When we come back, let's rewind this TV crisis that some MLB markets find themselves in and hear from the commissioner and how they're going to deal with it because I still I think most baseball fans don't really understand just how significant this problem is. Yeah, and it's complicated and we are not bankruptcy attorneys, but we will do our best to to walk you through it next here on the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Okay, so we've been talking about this the last couple of days, and things will probably get interesting at the middle of next month about this. There are 14 teams who are covered in television rights deals under 
Bally's, a.k.a. Diamond Sports. Approximately half of MLB. Right. Diamond Sports is going to file for bankruptcy. They are in a 30-day grace period right now because they had a $140 million payment, which is part of an $8.6 billion debt that they did not pay. Them not paying the $140 million uh, launches the 30-day grace period for them to figure out what to do. Now, bankruptcy doesn't mean that the games are not going to even be on Diamond Sports or Bally's. It all depends on what the court ends up doing with it. It's very complicated, so I'm I'm giving you a super like dumbed-down version of it. But it might put Major League Baseball in a position where they're going to have to play a bigger role in producing the actual on-field product that you see. And you might end up in a situation where you're watching off of a different platform. Now, here in Chicago, this is not a worry. NBC Sports Chicago and and um, Marquee are not inside of this, even though Marquee has a distribution deal with Sinclair. So they, they're not, you're not in danger of missing any games. But overall, there there are some problems here. And then trying to figure out what to do because then the rights fees would have to be renegotiated and it could end up being profitable for Major League Baseball because the the deals that they put together with the RSNs a while ago are underwhelming compared to what they might be able to get for those rights right now. Rob Manfred in a press conference Wednesday was asked how concerned he is if Diamond Sports Group goes into bankruptcy. It's hard to escape the reality um, that the change in media consumption has been particularly hard on the RSNs. Um, Obviously, we want all of our broadcast partners to be successful. We don't want them to have financial difficulties. Um, And, you know, we have been spending a lot of time and effort um, trying to work with Diamond to figure out exactly where they are. Um, You know, obviously, our first choice would be that Diamond pay the clubs what they're contractually obligated to pay them. Um, But because I guess I'm a contingency planner by nature, um, we are prepared, no matter what happens um, with respect to Diamond, uh, to make sure the games are available to fans in their local markets. Um, We think think it will be both linear in the traditional cable bundle and digitally um, on our own platforms. Um, but that remains to be seen. Um, as I said, our first hope is that, you know, Diamond figures out a way to pay the clubs and broadcast the games like they're contractually committed to do. You can. At this point, is it your expectation that they will be able to pay the clubs, at least while this process is playing out? So far, um, what Diamond has been saying to us is that they intend to pay the clubs. The questions uh, right here, the third row. By the way, that's an unfolding story, right? There's a, just because of the seasonality of the business, a lot of clubs have payments due between today and the first um, day of the season or the first of April. So, you know, it's a day-to-day thing. Hi, Rob. Jack Summers inside the Diamondbacks. Um, if you're in a position where you do have to transition, as you mm-hmm. just said, where MLB will be taking over the broadcasting, uh, do you anticipate um, that you'll be able to replace 100% of the revenue that the teams are currently scheduled to receive? Not in the short term.
So Manfred was then asked if the whole RSN model, regional sports network model, is salvageable at this point. I think for a period of time, um, there will be a legacy cable bundle model, including RSNs. Um, It's going to be smaller than what we're used to, certainly smaller than it was in its heyday. But it's going to remain significant because there's economics associated there that are important to the game. Um, Eventually, um, it may go away, but I don't think it's a short-term phenomenon. I think it's really important for the game to preserve the economics in the remaining RSN cable bundle while developing a digital alternative that has more flexibility and gives us better reach in terms of getting the fans who want to watch and don't have the ability to watch. Uh, That was the second question. As the RSN model does get phased out, uh, it's been the underpinning seemingly of the blackout rule. Um, How big of a priority is it for you to, if not end blackouts, then at very least transition to a place where all fans can see games. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think that um, in the last couple of years, if you had to say, give me one word that's Central Baseball's number one priority, that word would be reach. Um, And, you know, blackouts are the kind of opposite side of the coin of reach. We need to deliver product to fans who want to watch on platforms that they customarily use at a realistic price. Um, That is our number one priority. Now, that to me was the most encouraging part of this conversation because what will happen is that Maybe what will happen is that in-market streaming will be more readily available to people. That's what it sounds like, that they they know they've got a problem there. Yeah, that there's an a la carte aspect of this where which should allow for there not to be as many blackouts. Like we talk to fans from Iowa and Minnesota all the time that are stuck in between markets and they end up getting nothing. You know, like Oh, you're in a Cubs market, so you can't watch the Cubs. You're in but, a Brewers but, market, so you can't watch the Brewers. But that's an RSN vestige. Yep. And we are probably going to see that type of uh, baseball delineation of product go away, depending on how the bankruptcy hearing goes. Like, that's another big part of it. So March 15th is about the time where we should see Diamond Sports actually file for Chapter 11, not Chapter 7. Chapter 11 is is a better bankruptcy because it allows them to do some upfront negotiation with their creditors, of which it's not just Major League Baseball. It's Major League Baseball, it's the NBA, and it's the NHL. So there's a lot here and a lot at stake in getting this right. Dan, I got to tell you, I'm really concerned if MLB has the bandwidth and manpower to do this on their own, I'm not convinced that they do. We're going to talk some college basketball next with Jeremy Werner of 24-7 Sports. You want to know about the Illini, Northwestern, who might be ending up where in this year's Big Ten. He'll tell you all about it next on The Score. 
Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 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 We actually have some exciting college basketball around these parts. So as we get closer to March, we are going to bring it more into focus as we do right now with Jeremy Werner, the publisher of Illini Inquirer and part of 24-7 Sports. He's at jwerner247 on Twitter, and he's with us on the Score Hotline. That's brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's up, Jeremy? How are you? Uh, doing good, Dan. Uh, right in some Illini golf, but I don't think that's why you called. But uh, Illinois golf usually is the focus in the spring, but basketball has been a lot better lately. It, it has been. So what's turned around for the Illini? They're playing great defense for the most part. I say that after Jalen Pickett just scored 41 points on them. Uh, I know Iowa scored a little bit on Illinois, but uh, for the most part, their, their defense is one of the best in the Big Ten. Uh, they're just guarding at an extremely high level. They have great athletes, great versatility on that end. Uh, but I, even though they've won 8 of 11, I, I think there's some frustration with this team, but uh, I think there is in every Big Ten or every college basketball team right now. Uh, because there's just you know some inconsistency that, that's part of college basketball. It's part of 18 to 22 year olds. But you know some nights Illinois looks like it can beat some of the best teams in the country. They've, they've shown that with their wins over Texas and UCLA. Uh, but they also uh, can be susceptible to, to these huge lulls, um, whether it's offensively or defensively, and you know then go on the road and, and lose to Penn State. Um, it's just the Big Ten is just a muddled mess for the most part. Even Purdue's coming back to the pack now. But you know, Illinois has got talent. they got three guys who right now are projected to be second-round picks. And Terrence Shannon, um, transfer from Texas Tech. Matthew Meyer, transfer from Baylor. And, and Coleman Hawkins, uh, who's a little bit inconsistent but, but really skilled. Uh, so they have talent. Um, they have young players, though, some exciting Ty Rogers and, and Jaden Epps. But th- that comes with uh, inconsistency. And Illinois really young in the backcourt. But they'll enter the tournament, guys. I think they can lose anybody in that tournament. I think they can beat anybody in that tournament. So that's what's going to make this so fascinating. You know, no Iowa Desumu, no Kofi Coburn. But it feels like this team could have a, a higher ceiling potentially than last year's team just because of the talent and versatility they have. I feel the same way about the NCAA tournament. Like looking around and seeing how many number ones – have gone down, like how many losses, I think there have been 10 losses by number ones after being number one. I feel like there there's a parody that I'm not sure that I like, but I imagine once the tournament starts, I will. Yeah. How, how would you describe this year's Big Ten? It's, it's good. It's not great. And I think Illinois is right in the middle of that. Um, I don't know. There, there's not a great team here. I won't pick any of them probably to go to the Final Four. But, uh, you know, will any of them make the Elite Eight? That's been an issue for, for the Big Ten in recent years because they haven't had as much talent. Though last year, they had Keegan Murray and, um, you know, Davis was awesome. And Kofi Coburn obviously was an All-American. Um, but, yeah, it's just there's, there's not a complete team. But what makes this conference so good, guys, is they get great coaching. Like, all of these coaches, for the most part, I think are, are pretty dang good coaches. All of these teams recruit and develop talent really well. But there's just not a lot of next-level talent. Um, there's a couple first-round picks in this league, but are, are how many guys do you feel like are going to take over games? I think Trace Jackson Davis has proven he can be that. You know, if Penn State sneaks into the tournament, I think Jalen Pickett can be that. But I just don't know if there's the length, the athleticism of some of these other leagues, especially the Big 12. 
But I, I can also see a bunch of these teams getting to the Sweet 16. Sweet 16 excuse me. I, I think they all have that kind of potential, but I feel like there's just a bunch of six to ten seeds in here, uh, and it, it all depends on matchups. Which, again, it makes – I wish I had more answers and, and more definitive opinions about who these teams are, but right now I'm looking at this, and there's eight teams between eight and ten wins in this league – um, so to, to act like I know who's great and who's not, I, I just don't. I just think all these teams are, are good and not great. How, if at all in your estimation, has Brad Underwood evolved as a tactician? A lot, uh, Dan. He, he has changed a lot of what he's done. When he got here, he was kind of this press Virginia. Uh, he's from the Bob Huggins tree. Uh, get out in passing lanes, force turnovers, get easy buckets off that. But he, he gave up so many easy two-pointers then he got Kofi Coburn here and he changed everything he went to a a drop coverage you know played through the post played more ball screens um with Io DeSumo obviously here uh and then last year he kind of went to this one in four out offense around Kofi Coburn and then this year he came in thinking he's going to switch everything he came in thinking we're going to kind of run this um chaos offense like organized chaos he called it with, with five out and it didn't work. And then he just kind of switched everything back to drop coverage, back to more spread offenses they've gone through. So he has adjusted a lot of things. And not just in, I think, how they play. He's been very versatile with that. Uh, but in just how he approaches the portal, how he approaches NIL, like I don't think he loves those things. I mean, Brad's approaching 60 here. Uh, I don't think he likes those things, but he knows that's what he needs to win. And, and I think he knows he's at a place in Illinois that um, – has NIL resources, has the ability to, to you know, reel in transfers, and he's done pretty well with it. I mean, I was going on with Lawrence talking about teams on the bubble every year and not making the tournament for five, ten years, uh, and now Illinois is no doubt going to make their, you know, this would be their fourth straight, um, but it will be their third straight NCAA tournament and probably one of their, you know, maybe potential fourth straight top five finish in the Big Ten. When I look at Purdue, I think about last year and I go, man, I really like that that Purdue team with Jaden Ivey there playing point guard. And I know that Purdue's been number one this year. I I can't get a feel for whether or not Zach Eady is good. I know he's tall. I just don't know if he's good. Yeah, he's a good player. I mean, he's obviously dominant. But he reminds me of Kofi Coburn. I, I feel like Purdue, like, all year, I was like, ah, but- it's going to come back. Like they're going to come back and, and regress to the mean. I'm sitting here as of a couple of weeks ago being like, maybe that's not happening. Maybe this is the number one seed. Um, I, I think they're built like Illinois was last year in that they got a dominant big man who's good in college. I don't know how he fits in the NBA and a bunch of shooters around him. The difference was their freshman guards, especially Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer have kind of played above what we expected of them, but they're kind of starting to become, come back to the pack, whether that's, uh, the rest of the league figuring them out, or those guys going on the road and be like, oh, this is harder. <laughs> or they're just getting tired of you know, playing college basketball a little bit longer of a season. So I, I don't, I've never felt like Purdue was a Final Four team, but just as I was starting to buy it because they just kept winning, uh, they lose a couple games, Indiana, Northwestern, Maryland, all on the road. Now, I don't see them losing at Mackey because that's probably the best atmosphere in the Big Ten. Uh, and Edie just gives them something consistent, just like Kofi Coburn did. But I, I think when he gets to the tournament, Teams can double-team him. They can trap him, and, and they force everybody else to make shots. And if they make shots, it, it'll all work. But um, I just don't know if they're as talented on the wing as, 
as a lot of these other teams they're going to face in the tournament. We had a really nice time talking to Chris Collins yesterday, and he was just talking mm-hmm. about veteran guard play and how how nice it is. It makes his job easier when you have responsible, tough guards, which he has. How far do you think this Northwestern team can go? Scout them for us. Yeah, Northwestern's interesting. I don't think anybody saw this coming, including Chris. Like I remember he was at Big Ten tournament, uh, Big Ten Media Days, talking about Boo Boo and Chase Adiz and Robbie Baran, and we're all thinking, well, you just lost Pete Nance to North Carolina, you just lost Ryan Young to Duke. Uh, how are you going to be any better? Uh, but somehow they have, uh, and and I give Boo Boo and Chase Adiz a lot of credit. I don't know if those guys are better offensively because they're really not efficient, but they are tough. Uh, they are weathered, um, and they just play really good defense compared to what they used to. Like, I didn't think they played all that pretty against Indiana down the stretch, but they are old. Uh, and that, that's kind of what separates them, I think, in the Big Ten right now uh, is, is they're one of the oldest teams in the league. And I think once you get to tournament play, having old guards is really important. It's my, one of my concerns about Illinois. Is I, I think Jade Nepps is going to be a star at Illinois and kind of already is, but uh, he hasn't been um, in these big games, hasn't been in a lot of college basketball, hasn't seen as much as some of these guys. But Ty Berry's really emerged for them. They have some nice, uh, you know, Matthew Nicholson, I think, has been key to them defensively. Seven foot, 255, doesn't do much offensively, but he gives them a guy who can battle a Zach Eady, battle um, a Trace Jackson Davis. So, I don't think anything Northwestern does I would call pretty. Um, but I think for a, a team that sometimes got pushed around in recent years, I think when you have tough guards, old guards, and guys who can just go get a bucket when you need to, and, and Boo Booey and Chase Audish can be that, even if they're not efficient, I think that can be dangerous uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. I, I don't know if I'm picking them as a Sweet 16 team, but I can see him as a tough out in the first or second round. Who's a team, whether it's inside the Big Ten or outside of the Big Ten, that I should be paying attention to for the next three weeks? Maryland. Um, I, I, I was higher on this team going into the the season, uh, and they won their first eight games, including beating Illinois at, at home. Uh, but what Kevin Willard is, is doing there is really impressive. They, they aren't very deep, but their top five – is as talented as any top five in the Big Ten. Jameer Young's a transfer. He's one of the best scoring guards in, in the country. Akeem Hartz is kind of that three and D wing. And then Dante Scott and Julian Reese are just a pair of versatile, um, you know, big men for them. Great rotation. So um, I, I think that's a team that's getting hot right now. They've won, let's see, your six of their last seven games, including beating Purdue. Uh, they're much better at home than they are on the road. Uh, but this is a team that I think is going to finish top four uh, in the Big Ten. And I just feel like they have the guard play and the versatility uh, to really be dangerous because offensively they can get hot uh, and then they're tough too. Uh, they, they do defend. So probably one of the most balanced veteran teams in the Big Ten. Just a quick update here. You mentioned Kofi Coburn before, so I was compelled to look up how he's doing in the Japanese B-League. Okay, He is leading the Japanese B-League in rebounds per game with 13, and he is fifth in scoring at 20.4 points per game. All right. And the team he plays for is Niigata, and I would just say that they should be the this particular website. I don't like the way that they have abbreviated the name of his team. <laughs> it is just uh, not not good. But uh, he's playing well. And there, there's a lot. There's some former NBAers in here, and uh, happy for him that he found a place to ply his professional trade. Yeah, it's interesting. Kofi Coburn probably could have made a million dollars coming back to college for a year. Um, right. And he decided he wanted to go pro. I think he's making about 200 250 over there, uh, six figures at least. 
Um, so I found that interesting. Like he wanted to go pro, can't blame the kid for that. But I do think it's interesting nowadays. A guy like Zach Eady, is he, is he going to be an NBA draft pick? Is he going to get a guaranteed two-way deal or anything like that? Or can he come back to Purdue for another year and make a whole bunch of money? Jeremy Werner, great stuff. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's Jeremy Werner. I love talking hoops with that really dude. Really good. That was, that was, there's some stuff in there. He's he's really phenomenal because he you know he the Big Ten is his beat, but he watches everything. Look at these other guys in the Japanese B-League. Who we got? Czech Diallo, Kyle O'Quinn. How about it? Nick Fazekas, Devontae Gardner. Dalen Terry. <laughs> Someday, perhaps. Don't rule it out. Kevin Fishbane will give you your Friday fish because the Bears are... Look, I, I posted the picture. You took the picture, too, but I posted of both, both screens, two different shows, all the talking national heads. Should the Bears trade Justin? At trade? the same At damn the same time. time. All just, just running their mouths on this. But the Bears are central to everything that's going on, and we'll talk about them next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.